Take your Bibles and go to Second Peter. Second Peter and see if I can get set up up here. I don't need that. All right. Many of you recognize this. You know what it is? That's a baby bottle. Very good. Let me ask you again, class, what is this? A baby bottle, right? Um, We think about the baby bottle, specifically this one. We're thinking about what positive choices and filling that up so the ministry will continue forward. But, you know, if you just took a baby bottle and you looked at it, you think about also the uh, nourishment of a child. That the child is dependent upon you as a parent or grandparent to put that bottle in their mouth and feed them. They're depending on that nourishment. They need it in order to grow. And if you choose not to stick the baby bottle in the baby's mouth, that's a problem because they need it. They need it in order to grow. Well, as a believer in Christ, I can tell you this. You're not going to grow apart from this book. Not going to happen. You can look at it. You can read it. But we need to just do more than look at it and read it. We need to study it. Do you know that that is something that's being lost in the church today? Truly studying the Word of God. Taking people verse by verse and going through a book. It's kind of old-fashioned to a lot of people. In fact, a lot of churches, in order to try to keep people, make it very topical all the time. And there's nothing wrong with topics. But at some point in time, you need to go through the Scriptures verse by verse. What is it that God has said that I need to hear as a believer in order to grow in my relationship to Him? You all agree that giving a baby their bottle is important for nourishment? Do you agree that this book and this book alone is what I need in order to be nourished as a believer? Well, let's open it together to 2 Peter, since we agree on that. Um, 2 Peter is a book that um, kind of is tucked in. Uh, Not very many people. In fact, I did a survey this last week and just kind of asked people around the church and at least a dozen and who studied 2 Peter and... And not one person said yes. And so um, there's no doubt that it's a book that is kind of neglected. It's one there that's kind of tucked away. First Peter, a lot of people have studied. But Second Peter is kind of neglected. And uh, it's really, however, I believe one of the most important books for us in the day and the age we live in. And I'm going to say that again. It's one of the most important books that you and I get a hold of. It's got a lot of information in there for us to consider as it relates to spiritual growth and the importance of growing as a believer. Okay, and so I want to kind of take us through some introduction probably this week and next week. And don't worry if we don't get through the notes. Don't get so stuck on the notes you think, well, if that didn't make it all the way through, it's okay. Because every week's kind of a tag on, okay? And so, uh, so don't get too stuck on... He didn't finish this today. 
because this is very important for all of us as uh, growing believers in Christ, and if indeed you are. Um, I wanted to give you uh, just a couple of thoughts as we begin uh, this morning our study of Second Peter. They have to do with spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is the process. We need definition. What's the definition of spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Okay? Spiritual growth is the process. It is a process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Um, we're given the promise in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. That he who began the good work would continue to perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the Lord is going to continue to do his work in you. But we also know from Philippians chapter 2 that not only is um, the Lord going to continue to do his work in us, chapter 1, but we have a responsibility in that, right? Work out your salvation, he says, with fear and trembling. We have a responsibility as believers to be engaged in this process of spiritual growth. You know, when you're saved, the spirit of the living God enters you, right? And so the spirit of the living God is going to lead you into all truth, which points directly to the scriptures. So if I'm going to grow as a believer in Christ, I have to be engaged in God's word, Um, which brings up some very uncomfortable questions. How often during my week am I engaged in God's word? That's kind of an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Like if I was to say, how many of you spent, you know, five days this week engaged in God's Word, right? Or three days. Those are pretty convicting questions. And it's not just for you, it's for me too. How often am I truly engaged in the Word of God? You think about it in comparison to how often I'm engaged with just food. I'm engaged with food at least three times a day. How about you? I mean, I am making appointments for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I want all of them. I can't go without them. That's what I think. And even beyond that, I'm not just feeding myself breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but how many of you enjoy snacks, right? Right before bedtime, i got to have a little more nourishment. Need that bowl of ice cream, right? Need that bowl of cereal. Can't do without it. Well, wow, what if, what if as a believer there was that mind of, man, I need, that, I need more of that ice cream, right? I need more of God's Word today. I just can't do without it. I can't speak for you, but I know through personal experience, the more and more I'm engaged in the Word of God, the more and more I want to be engaged in the Word of God. Right? And so, we know God's going to do His part. We have to do our part. I like um, what Sinclair Ferguson says about spiritual growth. Um, He says, spiritual growth depends on two things. These are very important statements. First, a willingness to live according to the Word of God. (laughs) That's pretty, you're going to have to think through that one. I thought through that one a lot this week. Because what does that assume? If, I, if, if there's going to be a willingness to live according to the Word of God, what does that assume? That I know what the Word says in relationship to my life. It assumes that I'm engaged in the Word of God regularly. I was listening to J. Vernon McGee this week, and 
Um, how many of you know, even know who Jay Vernon McGee is that's under 50? <laughs> Poor me, I don't know who Jay Vernon McGee is. Um, well, you can, you can Google Jay Vernon after the service. You'll find he preaches every day. He's on the radio every day. Uh, he was a wonderful preacher. He just put it so basic and so clear. And I like, I like what he said. I was listening to a message this last week, and he said, A good number of believers read the Word, but few study it. Uh, well, that's pretty, man, that's just like a knife in the gut. A good number of believers read the Word, but few study it. So Sinclair Ferguson says, Spiritual growth depends on two things. First, a willingness to live according to the Word of God. And second, a willingness to take whatever consequences emerge as a result of that. <laughs> now, you do know where that's going, right? So you, let's say you, this week you're going to start out and say, Man, Lord, I'm gonna, every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to read your Word. I'm going to study. And what happens is you study the Word of God. And that sanctification process, you find out that God has demands on your life. True or False. Demands, not options, demands. I wrote it down like this for my own life. That I've found over the years that as I am more intensely engaged in the study of God's word, there's less of me and more of him. Now, that goes really well in our culture today. Amen? Is that what's being propagated from pulpits today? That's not what's happening too much. In fact, this letter, Peter begins in chapter 1, and we're going to see it as we, as we go through it. He begins where it should begin. The letter should begin with the importance of spiritual growth because there are going to be those that attack you in your faith. And what we find as believers as we are engaged more and more with the Word of God, we find that we have to die more and more to self. It's less of me and more of Him. It's less of me and more of Him. So spiritual growth depends on two things, a willingness to live according to the Word of God and a willingness to take whatever consequences emerge. Do you know that one of the consequences might be this? He wants to take something from you that you've held on to and said, that's mine, Lord, like your finances. No, Lord, I, everything else you can have, you can't have my pocketbook. But he wants it. It's his, right? He's the one that is the provider. He gives us what we have. Well, in health, wealth, and prosperity churches, what's the message there? God's for you. He wants you to be wealthy. Right? That's the message in these churches. We'll probably not get real personal as we go through here and speak about men as much as we speak about the theology that's out there. You guys know as well as I do, it's out there. I was reading a, a doctrinal statement of a church that's really popular church, and there are churches like this all over the United States. And if you read the first, oh, 
up to, I'd say, 90% of their doctrinal statement, right from the beginning, right from the get-go. It's great. But then you get down to the last tenth of that doctrinal statement, and it's about health and wealth theology. And do you know there are many Christians, I want you to hear this, Christians, who are being lured into that today, and they don't know it. And you know why they don't know it? They're still on the bottle. Right? They're still on the bottle. Guys, can I tell you this? In all my years as a believer, there is no amount of money, no amount of money, that I can say, oh, if I had that amount of money, I, I would want to replace Christ. And you know, in all my years, I, I may never be on this side of glory a wealthy man, but in this country, I'm really wealthy, right? If you compare it to the rest of the world. But in the United States, I may never be perceived as a wealthy person. But did you know, because I am in Christ, I have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? It's not the dollar, it's not the things. But unfortunately, that's being advocated for many pulpits today. And we're losing generations of young people. I was thinking about our church and actually did a breakdown not too long ago. About two-thirds of our church is my age and older. And a third, another third is younger. And listen, I'm concerned about the whole. I want you to understand that. But, but I'm really concerned about the younger I mean that in a good way. I'm concerned that you'll stand solid on the Word of God. Because there are so many people out there today that are actually working for the enemy. Looking to trip you up. Well, Satan's strategy is brilliant. Although it's very simple. Move the church away from the knowledge of God. We just talked about the importance of of being in the book, so less time and attention is focused on the careful study of the Word of God. That's the strategy. It's brilliant. And if you go to a number of churches today, you'll find what I call sermonettes. It's 10 to 15 minutes of this. Hey, guys, I want to tell you something. I'm not your greatest encourager. You okay with that? You know who your greatest encourager is? The Lord. He's your greatest encourager. You know who the greatest teacher is? The Holy Spirit of God. He's the greatest teacher. There are a lot of churches out there today committed to pep rallies and entertainment so that the masses will stay in place. We're going to find that as Peter works himself through this letter... He's not concerned about the masses. You know what he's concerned about? The truth. The truth. Move the church away from the knowledge of God so less time and attention is focused on the careful study of the Word of God. I would have to say his strategy is working. It's working. 
Well, purpose of the letter. Purpose of the letter you're going to find as you read through, and I encourage you as we're going through this study to read ahead. The purpose of the letter is to encourage and strengthen Christian people to grow in the faith. Now, look at that statement. To encourage Christian people to grow in the faith. You know, I think we do that here. I was thinking about it. We do that here. We have opportunities for you to grow in the Christian faith. We have our Christian education hour. It's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. We have women's studies and men's studies, opportunities for you to grow in your faith. But apart from what we provide, what are you doing yourself, right? What am I doing myself so that I would grow in the knowledge of the Word of God? So it's to encourage Christian people to grow in the faith. And this last part's very important. So as to withstand the winds and waves of false teaching. Flip back in your Bible just real quick to Ephesians in the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see this with me. Ephesians 4. You're going to have to turn because I didn't put it on the screen for you. Notice verse 11. By the way, just before we get to verse 11, I know that for you, I don't know how, you, how, you, how this happens with you, but for me, man, when I see a text and I see God's hand, which God's hand's all over the word, I know that, but I just, I look at the church and I go, wow, Lord, you, you have a plan. You have a plan for how your church is to function. And that's what happens here in chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12. For the equipping of the who? For the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. The reason I said that four times is because I think a lot of times churches today are so dependent on staff. You know, the Lord has a purpose for each of you within the body of Christ. He has gifted you to do something for Him. And so leadership is to do what? To equip the saints... That's you for the work of service. So we're to equip you for the work of service. Why? Because you're not to be a spectator. God did not design you as a believer to be a spectator. Now, when I go to a football game, I'm a spectator. I go watch my Razorbacks, I'm a spectator. There's times I want to be on the field because I want to say, look, that's not the right play call. We're never going to beat Alabama. And we probably won't this year either. I've already looked at the schedule. I've looked at the talent. Alabama has a lot and we have a little. Doesn't look good. The equipping of the saints for the work of service so we're not to be spectators. To the, now look at this. To the building up of the body of Christ. That's what happens. When the saints are equipped, they're built up. They're built up. 
They're encouraged. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What's that next phrase? To a what? Mature. Hmm. Mature believers. You know what one major quality of a mature believer is? Thus saith the Lord. Doesn't mean that's easy to say or easy to follow in terms of obedience. But I can look at the word and say, Thus saith the Lord. He said it. I need to do it. He said it. I need to do it. Guys, not only did the Lord love us so much, He went to the cross and died for us, but He gave us His book. It's his love letter. He has our best in mind. Notice it says, To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What's the whole purpose of this? Look at verse 14. As a result, this is what happens. As a result of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry... Developing saints to maturity, verse 14, as a result, we are what? No longer to be what? Children. Tossed here and there by waves. And carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the what of men? The trickery of men. By craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's serious stuff. And it's happening all across the United States, even right now this morning. And it happens a lot in the health and wealth prosperity movement. A lot. God wants you to be rich, He wants you to be healthy. I say to those people, do you not read the book? The godly in Christ Jesus will what? Fill in the blank. What does it say? All the godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Ugh. How about that? Think they'd invite me? I could say, my first statement. All the godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Amen. Guys, suffering is a part of my life as a believer. That's just the way it works. Paul must not have got the memo. He suffered a lot. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So the purpose of the letter is very important. The purpose of the letter is to encourage and strengthen Christian people to grow in the faith so as to withstand the winds and waves of false teaching, which is all around us, which he spends a whole chapter describing these people in chapter 2. You're going to love these descriptions. I mean, you think this sounds harsh. Whew. Chapter 2 is rough. Let me give you some 
initial observations about the book itself. First, Peter writes repeating things they know in order that they would remain alert and steadfast in the faith. Let's break that down. Peter writes repeating things they know. How many times did you go through those little flashcards when you were in school doing your multiplication? You remember those flashcards? If you're under 50, you do. What do y'all do now? Do y'all even study math these days? All right. But you had those flashcards, and you had them in front of you, and, and my parents were both teachers, so I had no chance. Right? It wasn't coming home and giving any kind of excuse that would suffice. Hey, I just didn't, I couldn't catch on. No. There was no excuse available to me that sounded good to them. But when you're studying math, right, if you're going to do algebra, you need to know your multiplication facts. And so what would you do? You'd rehearse those over and over and over and over again to the point where you knew them like that. When I said four times eight, you said not everybody said 32. <laughs> we might need a math quiz. Four times nine. Right? So, right? It's just... Now, if you're sitting there as a student and you get it, right? You're one of those smart ones. And you're sitting there and you're like, you went through it a couple, three times and you know it. What happens to you? You're diseng- you become what? Disengaged. Don't you? Sure, you already know that. That's what happens to believers sometimes. I already know that. But does it hurt to be refreshed? How many times have you heard a sermon on how a husband should love the, the wife? How many times? Well, for me, it's probably been a hundred times. I could probably use a hundred more. He writes repeating things they know. I, I, I like this. In order that they would remain alert. That, that for some reason, I have antennas kind of come to my mind. Alert, right? I need to have my spiritual antennas up. So that, now listen very carefully to this. So that when you're listening to Christian radio, or you're watching a Christian pastor speak you have your antennas up we're like the bereans in Acts 17 we examine the scriptures to see if it's true and you do that for me and you do that for every single person that ever stands behind a lectern and teaches god's word nobody gets a pass because you know what james tells us that teachers incur a stricter judgment nobody gets a pass. Now, it ought to scare you. It scares me to death. Every single Sunday, I'm scared to death. He writes, repeating things they know in order that they would remain alert and steadfast. Man, guys, that has that picture of just moving forward, plowing through it. You know, it's not easy to be in the minority. 
But did you know that Bible teaching churches today, true Bible teaching churches are in the minority? In the minority. Big time in the minority. Because if you preach the book like 1 Peter, which is on suffering as a believer, you'd clear them out. They wouldn't come back to see you. You kidding me? Peter says it. 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. You know, when I, when I read that first statement, and we'll break this down more as we get to it. Man, there's this, this sense of responsibility. Do you see that? Peter has this sense of responsibility. I shall always be ready. It reminded me of the relationship that Christian parents have with their children. As we need to always be ready to talk to our children about the faith. Always. Peter says, therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. And notice that next phrase, even though you already know them. And have been established in the truth, which is present with you. And then he says, and I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. I really like that phrase. I was going to wait till we got to it to define it, but I can't. I'm going to give it to you today. I consider it right, he says, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. That word stir up is an interesting word in the original language. It literally means to wake up thoroughly out of literal sleep. In other words, a person, the picture is of a person who's literally asleep and you're stirring them up, you're waking them up. How many of you are light sleepers? How many of you are heavy sleepers? My oldest son is a heavy sleeper. There's heavy sleeper, and then there's heavy. He's heavy. I'm heavy sleeper. You could literally go, Caleb! Uh, I don't know if it was just him being a teenager, if if that was just what happened. Deep sleep. That's the picture. The word literally means to wake up out of a literal sleep, and I wrote this down, some are harder to wake up. The idea is to stimulate one's thinking or to refresh their memory. Let me ask you a question. Is the church, part of the church today asleep? You think the church is asleep today? Some of the church? I kind of think so. I kind of think the church is asleep doctrinally at the wheel. I just believe that. The more I read and the more I study, the more I'm like, man, this is what's happened. Doctrine equals boring. But your behavior directly is a result 
of what you believe. Belief leads to behavior. So is it my life or is it his life? If it's his life, in other words, if I'm his, then it's about what he wants. But if it's about me, but it is about me. Did you not get that note? It is. It's about you. It's all that matters. As one author wrote, Years ago, your best life is now. And if you're in Christ, I would tell you it's not. My friends, our best life is to what? It's coming. So, that's the first observation. Second observation, Peter writes, knowing that his death is soon, it's imminent. That sound familiar to you? You remember the book of uh, 2 Timothy? Paul writes with this sense of urgency, knowing that his death is imminent. I put down here for you his departure being imminent. There was certainly a great deal of concern for these believers. And he puts it this way in verse 14, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, Do you know our death is imminent? Your death and mine is imminent. It's coming. It's coming. It can happen at any point in time. It can happen. We're not promised another second. So maybe I need to view the Christian life this way, that, that my death is imminent, it's right around the corner, and what I do with my life in terms of investing in others matters. I want them to know the truth. I want them to be dedicated to Christ. I want them to finish their course like I want to finish my course. I did a little research on a man named George Whitfield. He was a man who was a great evangelist during the Great Awakening. And he wrote these words. And I thought it was a really great way, a great attitude of how it, how it is to be in terms of serving the Lord um, in my life. He wrote this, Lord Jesus, I am weary in thy work, but not weary of thy work. If I have not yet finished my course, let me go and speak for thee once more in the fields. Man, I like that. When I read that, I was like, whoo, that's good. Lord Jesus, I am weary in thy work. Any of you ever been weary in the work of Christ? Yes, shake your head. Yes, I've been weary. I'm not the only one in here. I've been weary in the work of Christ. But not of his work. And Lord, and this is how I'd like to phrase it. Lord, as I'm running my course, help me to have the mind of George Whitfield. And want to speak for thee one more time. One more time. One more time. And that's what Peter was doing here. He had an opportunity. He knew his death was imminent. 
But he had an opportunity to write to these believers in terms of their faith and the importance of being grounded in their faith and the importance of carrying on that faith and putting that, right, the truth in the life of others that they would come in contact with. Third and the last one we'll do this morning. Peter writes with a sense of urgency that they become firmly established in the knowledge of God and constantly growing in the faith. He writes with a sense of urgency that they become firmly established in the knowledge of God and constantly growing in the faith. And so that statement demands a question, why? Why? Is it so important to grow in the knowledge of God and grow in the faith? And the answer is given to us in verses 17 and 18 of 2 Peter 3. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. All right, so let's look at that. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. Be aware. Lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men. That phrase, unprincipled men, speaking about those who are morally corrupt. That's the word there. Those who are morally corrupt. How many illustrations could we cite of those men who've stood behind pulpits who have been morally corrupt? just in the lifetime that you and I have lived. Being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. Guys, listen, this is very important. If we're going to remain steadfast as believers, we're going to have to do this. And I don't know how comfortable you're going to be with this, but this is the only way it works. If we're going to be steadfast in the faith, we have to do this with men. If we're concerned about what man thinks, we will fall from our own steadfastness. We can't be concerned about what man thinks. It's what God has said. That should be the concern. And so Peter says, carried away by the air of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. And then he says, but, but, but grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Why should there be a commitment to the knowledge of God and constantly growing in the faith? Because there is a counterfeit gospel out there today. That's why. We'll talk next week more about why this knowledge is so critical but I wanted to give you just this closing illustration and three things to leave with. I am going to give you those three today. You know, federal agents, you know how they um, spot counterfeit bills? You know how that process works? You know that federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits? That's not how they do it. In fact, they study the genuine bills until they master 
the look of the real thing. And then when they see the bogus money, they do what? They recognize it. So what do they do? Their commitment is to what? The genuine. The real thing. And that's the way it should be for us. A commitment to the genuine. A commitment to the study of God's word so that we recognize, guys, when we rec- so that we recognize the counterfeit when it's in front of us. I want to give you these three things to leave with. We'll look at that next week. The discipline of the mind is critical to the growth process. You know, we started talking this morning, we talked about that whole growing in our relationship with Christ. Well, the discipline of the mind is critical to the growth process, not only from Romans 12, but Colossians chapter 3. Paul says in Colossians 3, what? Set your mind on what? The things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And my goodness gracious, how easily are we distracted? I don't know about you, but I'll be distracted when I walk out the door, right? So the discipline of the mind is critical to the growth process. So I need to be careful what I'm putting into my mind. Secondly, there's no replacement for time spent in the Word. Just simply no replacement. I mean, you know, we, we watch right in front of our eyes our children grow, and they go from being off the bottle and... Do you ever see a, a kid whenever they go off the bottle and they start engaging in that, in that next step? And what do they do? Man, they want that food. You can't feed them fast enough. One of my granddaughters, that's all, she just eats all the time. That's all she wants to do. That, listen, the bottle is no longer satisfactory. She's in to give me more of what's on that plate. Last night we were at Lloyd celebrating my mother-in-law's birthday. And she's sitting there and... Court, I don't know if you've ever had one of their hamburger steaks. My goodness, that thing's huge. I could only eat half of it. But my little granddaughter, she's across from me, and a plate was put right in front of her. And then the plate was immediately taken from her presence because of fear of what she would do with all that food. And she started moaning and groaning and crying and wanting that food like bad. And she can't say, I want that food yet. But every action, right, every emotion that she had said, I want that food. It would be great if we just had such a craving in our lives for the Word of God. There's no replacement for time spent in the Word. And then thirdly, the knowledge of God is important in order to recognize that which is false. And the knowledge of God comes directly from study the Word of God. I was reading an article last night, several articles on false teachers. By the way, if you want to be encouraged, don't necessarily do that. But I was reading a lot of different articles last night, this last two or three weeks, on false teachers and the presence of false teachers in the church. And all I could think about was you. I don't want you to be carried away. I don't want you to fall into the trap. And here's what happens to some people. Oh, I would never go down that road. 
I have good friends, good friends, that have fallen into the trap of false teaching, who at one time would have said, I will never go down that road. But not only are they down the road, they're in the building. And they're listening. And have you ever noticed there's one characteristic about false teachers? Guys, they're really, really good. Really good. And we know this is Satan. Really, really good at drawing attention to themselves. And then taking that and putting it back on the people and saying, listen, God wants you to be this. You ever heard false teachers talk about the importance of self-sacrifice, of holiness, of purity, of repentance? No, they talk about health and wealth and prosperity to the detriment of their people. Guys, I've got great news for you. If you're in Christ today, you are very wealthy. You have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, and this is not the end. At the point of salvation, eternal life began, and one day I'm going to get to see and be with the one who bought me, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we um, recognize that this letter is very important. It was important for those receiving it as we get into the book. I pray that you would help us to grab a hold of what your word says in order that we might become better ambassadors. Lord, help us to protect ourselves. There's a protection mentality in our culture. Um, I pray that we'd have a protection mentality in the church. That we would recognize that we have the tremendous responsibility of of holding up the truth, the Word of God. Lord, help us to be so familiar with the truth that the false is easily recognized. Help us to be so in love with you and so in love with your Word that when we see people that are falling away from you, that we would approach them in love with a sincere conscience that we might go to them and and love them and and show them from your word what is the truth. Lord, we know that ultimately in the end it's your Holy Spirit that's going to be working. So we commit ourselves to you. And I would ask, Lord, that we would consider what's been said today and that if we've been asleep, that we would be awakened. That we would be reminded as we go through this letter together. That we would be reminded of the importance of spiritual growth. The horror of false teaching. And that we would, Lord, look to the glorious hope of our future with you. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Close uh, today. You'll recognize the words to uh, "It is well with my soul." The verses as we sing. We want you to sing with us. Uh, we're going to close it uh, with a little bit of a different take on the chorus. So y'all sing out with us.
close uh, together, and I'm going to read just a couple of scripture passages, uh, just a couple of verses. And this whole um, Second Peter book is really um, about growing in your faith, so that you can remain steadfast. And um, probably that's been one of the most urgent things to me for a long time as a pastor is that we would remain steadfast and in, in the faith. Probably um, one of the heartbeats I have because I'm so um, convinced that there are many who are led astray, unfortunately. And um, in Titus chapter 1, um, Titus is writing about leadership. And um, he talks about the importance of, of shepherds shepherding. That's what shepherds do. Um, holding fast the word of faith. Um, exhorting in sound doctrine. Um, and then he says, and able to refute those who contradict. So while doctrine might be boring to some, it's imperative to the Lord. <laughs> he says, now listen to this. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. I can't help but think how many families, families are held captive through radio and TV preaching that's not sound and not biblical. Lord, help us to be sound in the faith, steadfast, immovable. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that your word is the nourishment that we need. We would readily admit that the discipline to be in your word daily is difficult because there are so many distractions. However, it's impossible to grow in our knowledge of you and what concerns you without that regular intake so I pray that you would, your spirit would put that desire in us that we might long for your word in order that we might grow by it so that we would be able to recognize the error that is all around us. Help us not to be people that give in and say, oh, this one thing doesn't matter. It all matters to you, Lord. So I pray that we would be defenders of your truth for your honor and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.